It was a $27,000 exercise. There's so much noise now in the world. If you really want to meet that person, if you have clarity and you know meeting that person will change your life, what is $27,000? Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. The moral story is take your 10-year-old son to lose. That was a million dollars, over a million dollars lost. Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have award-winning entrepreneur Vin Jang as he shares how buying 1,000 copies of the same book led him to meeting his mentor, the value of adversity, and why magic has made him a successful businessman. So if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I really like people who work hard, who are a little bit crazy, a little bit creative, a little bit out there. And Vin is definitely one of those people. I remember the story of Rick Astley, who uh, spent years and years and years to become an overnight success. And Vin is one of those guys who is kind of exploded onto the scene in the U.S. as a speaker, um, just in huge demand out there. But he's one of those people that have worked and have put in his 10,000 hours as a speaker, as a performer. So Vin, how much time did you have to put in to become an overnight success? Magic teaches you a brilliant work ethic. And I think that's where I learned it from. You know, to learn a piece of sleight of hand can easily take 250 hours to learn one. So magic gave me the foundation for that. So when I carried that foundation of work ethic into speaking, I've easily spent more than 10,000 hours. The amount of time that I spent in the theater, the amount of time I spent on, you know, when you're performing magic, that's performance. And speaking is a performance art. So even while I was doing magic when I was younger, I was unconsciously rehearsing for speaking one day. I just didn't know it. So it made it easily, made more than 10,000 hours, easy. Now, where do you think you get that patience from? Was it, where, did you force yourself to become patient, to become a magician, or do you think you're just naturally a patient person no, who def- found this calling? Definitely not patient, naturally. But magic teaches you that too. Because in order to do something magical, you have to put in the time. The only way the cards are going to change from one to another in a smooth and elegant way is if you put in the 250 hours. But when you repeat that process of hard work, result, hard work, result, and the result being magic, it trains your mind. And then you even start to think, if a trick takes a thousand hours, can you imagine how amazing that will be? So there's this reward system that starts to build. So the more patient you are and the more willing you are to work hard, the better the magic. And you know what's even better? the barrier of entry increases. So if you, if you spend 50 hours doing a trick, every other magician can do it. But if I spent 3,000 hours doing something, not many. And there's a great line by Teller. You know Penn and Teller? Mm-hmm. He has this line where he says, magic is just someone spending more time on something than anybody would reasonably expect. <laughs> so you have to take this and you have to apply it to your life. What are you doing right now where you're spending more time on something than other people wouldn't expect? Same thing. Magic is a massive mixture of patience and hard work. What drew you to it? Was it, was it more the complexity of it? Was it the payoff? Was it, what, what kind of drew you to magic? Magic is the most fraudulent way to get attention. <laughs> I guess. And when, I was, when I was a kid, um, I was a fat kid, didn't get attention in high school, and I thought, how can I get people's attention? So the moment I learned a trick, I bought it at school, I did it, all my friends were like, oh my God, dude, you're amazing. And I thought, I need some more of that. <laughs> and like, I became addicted to the attention it gave me, which gave me confidence, which is something I didn't have. So, and I felt like, you know, the more confidence I had, the greater things I was doing, the more impact I was having. 
So it was the addiction to the attention which gave me confidence. That's what it was. You know, if I'm being honest and didn't give you that beautiful, I saw magic for the first time. And, no, no, <laughs> fraudulent attention. That's what it was. <laughs> now, what drew you? Now, obviously, you know, you were the, the entrepreneur of the year, a uh, young entrepreneur of the year in Australia uh, yeah. a few years back. Uh, what, uh, what drew you to that? Is, is it, and how is that similar or different to magic? Well, to me, entrepreneurship is, it has many common threads with magic. But first of all, you know, the root of the entrepreneurship came from mum and dad, you know, being refugees from Vietnam, starting with nothing. Watching them grow business after business successfully was inspiring, man. Like, you know, going from having nothing to having a beautiful home and the infrastructure to go to school and have nice things. To me, that was magic. Dad, dad escaped a war. I think sometimes I forget myself. He escaped a war, gone to a foreign country, had nothing and created something out of nothing. That's magic, man. And so to me, a lot of the times in life, I was so drawn to entrepreneurship because of mum and dad, because of what they've instilled in me. So I've always wanted to go in the same direction. What is something that you want to pass along? I'm sure there are a lot of things. What's something you, you took from your mom or your dad or both that you want to pass along? Like if nothing else happens as a father, what do you want to pass along? I think the biggest lesson is that adversity is a competitive advantage. So when other people are running away from adversity, you should take it. You should take responsibility, you should take it. Because I look back, Brian, I am the way I am because of the adversity that I've been through. And a lot of the hunger and the fire that I feel in me, I don't think there's any other way I could have gotten it without that adversity. And to understand that to become great one day, you have to go through training. And to give my children clarity that the training to become great is that adversity. So don't shy away from it. Like my wife and I are already planning, how can, we, how can we create adversity for our children? But you know, within a controlled environment so that they grow. Because my biggest fear is my children growing up and not wanting anything, having no desires, no fuel, no fire. I'm so scared of that. If you've talked through that, we're a couple ideas. Because I've got a couple girls on my own. So interesting, interesting. Uh, obviously, you're an extremely successful you know, speaker and entrepreneur. But I'm curious to see how you're approaching that fatherhood type of thing. What have you kind of set up in your head before you jump into it? You know, one of the, one of the biggest things is uh, I've seen one of my good friends who's a doctor. And he, he set up this little system at home where every task his children would, every task that they would do, he'd give them a credit system. And it's these little stars that they get in there, the little booklet, and that's their money, that's their currency. Mm. So after they do X amount of work, <laughs> they use their currency to cash in with dad for money, and then they buy their toys. And I thought this is a great system, simply, because it teaches them the value behind work. Very early, like his kids are like three and four, mm. but they're like, oh dad, can I, can I um, like mow the lawn or can I do, and they're literally, with dad trying to mow the lawn, they get one star, which is 50 cents. It's like child labor, <laughs> but, it, but it's great because it teaches them that if I work, I then get something in return. It's not free. Mm. It doesn't just appear. Mm. So I, I, again, that's one system that, um, he's imp that I love. I adore that. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. And also to involve my children in my, my business, in my work. You know, it, like one of my mentors, Matthew, that I showed before, he's got two kids that are 13 and 14. They're involved in his business. You know, on Fridays, they come in with him in the business. They see the business. They see what he's doing. So he's exposing them to what I'm doing as opposed to making everything and then giving them everything. Mm. I want to be very transparent in the process and involve them. Mm. So... 
you just already mentioned just two or three mentors already. Obviously, parents are, are most people's first mentors. Uh, you're talking about the doctor. You're talking about Matthew. Uh, how do you go about finding mentors? You have to know what you want. This is the biggest problem, first of all, is that most people just try to find the most successful people within their circle, and then they use that person as a mentor. And what happens is because they haven't thought about it with clarity, they just get a mentor purely for their success, usually financial success. Then that mentor leads them astray because that's not what they want. So to me, the first thing you need before you even look for mentors is what do you want? That's a very scary question though. If I ask you to the root, no BS, what do you want? I think that's a very scary question. But until we've asked ourselves that through and through, once you know that, then the five people you need to surround yourself with, they appear. You'll find them. Because once you know what you want, there's a great website, google.com, right? <laughs> and, you, and you look for people there. And again, it's simple, but a lot of the times the simplicity is, is mixed with complexity because we don't have clarity with what we want. I think it's, it's really clarity that reveals to you who you should pick. And then once you do, my dad has this great lesson he passed on to me. He said, you should only ask for favors you deserve. Mm. A lot of the times we want mentors, we expect them to spend time with us, but my dad made me do this one thing. He goes, that mentor you want, how old is he? I go, 60. Mm. He goes, right. So that man has less than 6,000 days left to live if he lives to 83. Why would he want to spend one of those days with you? He doesn't. He'd rather spend it with his family and his friends. You have to earn that day. Only ask for favors you deserve. Mm. So every time I, once I have that clarity, I'm trying to find mentors. <laughs> I check out their life. I read their books. I try to understand what is important to them now. And then I try to help them in that area in every way I can and kill them with kindness to the point where they get the email. And they're like, oh God, <laughs> I'm going to have to spend time with this jerk soon because he's, oh, I feel so bad. But it's true. Kill them with kindness and you'll get there. What's the most over-the-top thing you've done to connect with a potential mentor? Buying a thousand books. <laughs> it was a $27,000 exercise. Oh my goodness. And I bought it and I, it, well, it's because there's so much noise now in the world. If you really want to meet that person, if you have clarity and you know meeting that person will change your life, what is $27,000? Get a loan, do whatever you can, get it, because then you now get that person into your life. So to me, that was probably the most extreme thing I did, but... um. But it worked. Now, if you were to be a mentor, now, are you mentoring people yes, yourself? What, yes, what approach do you take? So a lot of my thoughts and values come from the world of theater. So this may conflict a little bit and cause some, <laughs> some confusion, but I don't believe I can teach anybody anything. But I do believe I can create the right environment so that in that environment and that experience can teach my mentees everything they need to learn. Now, it is their capacity to better experience that environment that teaches determines how much they get from it. Not so much me. So as a teacher, my goal is to understand how to create the environments which will actually teach them what they know, not me telling them. Because I used to, I used to get into a relationship where I would um, mentor someone and I just tell them, it never works. Mm. Because it is from our own experiences that we learn the best. So then I realized, oh, wow, I need to get better at creating experiences. So like, again, why when I take, teach communication, I bring people into theaters, like I'll hire a massive theater and then I create the environment. And it's really about me creating the environment and then enhancing their capacity to be able to experience. So it's a very different look at it. Um, but again, to me, it's the most pragmatic and the most effective. 
Now, what's next for you in terms of where you are trying to grow as a person or as a speaker? For me to grow as a speaker, to me, it's an evolving beast. So it never stops. You know, like I shared one thing before. My mentors put this incredible challenge on me and say that one impact moment per minute when you're on stage. I'm nowhere close to that, right? But that's what they said. Stick to that. Try to get close as you can to that. Keep training your instrument. So I still do singing classes today. I still do theater classes. So stay sharp. If I don't do sleight of hand for a year, I lose it. You have to maintain your skill. But that's as a speaker. As an individual, you know, I've been trying to find new mentors and my wife pulled me aside, I think about a month ago. And she said, you don't need to find mentors anymore. You've got one on the way. And she said, your son is going to teach you a lot more than you think. And I love my wife and she's right. I've got a mentor on the way in May and he's going to teach me how to be the best dad I can to him. So as conscious I am about building my career, family is everything to me. You know, I often tell her I can make it as an entrepreneur, but ultimately I've lost if I lose you. If I lose my family, I've lost. So moving into this next stage of my life, I have shifted priorities. You know, it's not about earning. It's about learning how to be a good dad, learning how to be a good husband. So... I've got lots of room to improve there. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's absolutely true. I know it, one of the things is, is you learn so much about yourself when you're trying to teach someone something. Oh, gosh. And it's, it's um, yeah, definitely fatherhood will, will do that to you. Uh, so final question. Sure. Uh, you know, you're taking this, this uh, big step and uh, moving, you know, to the U.S. For, for, you know, pretty much uh, most of the year. What are the biggest changes you've experienced as an Australian coming to the U.S., like what are the good, bad things about kind of your new adopted, new adopted home? That over here, I'm like a novelty, which is really <laughs> cool. Like everywhere I go, they're like, oh, you're from Australia. That's awesome. You know, and the Australian culture and the American culture is not that much different. But one word I love here in the U.S. that is probably normal to you, but is the word serve. We don't use that word in Australia. Really? We do not use the word serve. Like I, the whole, my whole life, I don't hear this word. I hear we help you or we, we try to do something. The word serve, I find to be so special. And it's something that I love about the US. You know, I think, you know, your, your love that you have for your country, I think it's, it's beautiful. I wish, you know, I love Australia, but we don't show it nearly as much as we should. So I think that's something that I, I really adore um, that I don't often see. And you don't have Vegemite, which is offensive. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.